The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where every week we work hard to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And once a month, we do that by throwing the mics open and saying, what do you want to know? What what questions do you have about real estate investing or your own business or deals you're working on or whatever we can help you with? And we ask you to either call in, if that's possible, for you at 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. Or alternatively, to send an email. It seems to be easier for a lot of people at this time of day when you might be driving or still at work. Maybe don't want to distract yourself with a phone call. The email address is askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. And I don't know, I'm feeling the psychic tug. Somebody needs to hear that phone number again, 877-772-9658. While we're waiting for our first set of questions to come in, the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has a free training coming up on Monday night, so February the 1st, called How to Find Leads or How to Find Comps When You Don't Have MLS and How to Find Leads on Potentially Motivated Sellers with Off Market Deals. It's at 7 p.m., it is online, it is open to anyone wherever you are in the country and it's a demonstration of some software that allows uh, folks who don't have real estate licenses to see details on properties that have sold which of course is an important step in figuring out what the property you are looking at is actually worth you can get your link to join in on that at CincinnatiRia.com. That is CincinnatiREIA.com. Question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Um, have some questions here saved up from folks who sent them in earlier in the day because they are connected with us through our website, realliferealestate.com, and have signed up to get weekly reminders of what's happening on the show and heck let's face it these days it's a reminder of me that it's wednesday 
That's how I keep track of time anymore. Is is there a radio show tonight? Is there a RIA meeting tonight? Otherwise, I don't know what day of the week it is. So realliferealestate.com is our website. Uh, here is a question that just came in from Julie. Julie says... I am considering offering my local experience and connections in the form of deal finding, project management, and property manager to an out-of-town investor as a partnership instead of a management company. What are your thoughts and things to consider when entering this type of relationship, as well as what would be considered a balanced financial split? Julie, that is definitely the greatest question I've gotten all year might be the greatest question I've gotten in the last five years. It's a great question because we tend to divide folks who we need to, we, we, we need, there's people that we need to actually run our real estate business. The, there's contractors, there's property managers, there's accountants, there's lawyers, there's all these folks. And we seem, we, we tend to think of them in a very pay for play kind of way. Like, so I have this property over here and you're a property manager. And so I will pay you to manage my property. I have this property over here. You're a rehabber. I will pay you to rehab my property. And unfortunately, what that often does is it sets the best interests of the owner against the best interests of the person he's hiring. So, Let's just take the the remodeler, the project manager remodeler side of that. Obviously, as the owner of the property, it is in my best interest to pay the least amount of money I can pay to get a good job done remodeling my property, not because I'm cheap, but because I'm running a business and money that goes out from that business detracts from my bottom line. It is to the remodeler's advantage to charge as much as humanly possible because he's also in a business and this job and the next job and the next job and the next job add up and it would be better for him to get paid more rather than less and he's going to do what he can to get paid more rather than less. However, if that remodeler were a co-owner of the property and had the right attitude about you know, this property is not about how much can I get right now. This property is about what does my financial life look 20 years from now? What kind of income do I have then? What kind of wealth do I have then? Then he is going to do the best job he can for the lowest price because he is making that investment in that property as well. He's going to he's gonna hire people that he knows does a good job, knows to do a good job, and he's going to make sure that they don't nickel and dime him to death or anything like that. Having carefully selected people as partners instead of as employees can switch some of the, some of the conflict in, of interest between property managers and owners is a really good example of that into a cooperative thing instead of a I'm looking out for the best for me and you're looking out for the best for you thing. The problem is with any one given property, 
you can't have 15 partners. You can't have a partner's remodeler and you can't have a part and a part one who's an accountant and one who's this. I mean, you could, but that would just be silly. So the fact that you have this combination of skills, deal finding, project manager, and you say property manager, so I assume you are in fact a licensed real estate agent, makes you a really good partner. Now the question is, can you convince the folks who are these out-of-town investors that that is a better arrangement for them than hiring those people separately. Um, as to whether, as to what the financial split would look like, that is going to have to be looked at on sort of a case-by-case basis. Because I, I was actually, just before I came on the air, was talking to a uh, fellow in Columbus who has been in real estate for a really long time, and I know to be an excellent uh, rehab manager and also property manager, and he also has a real estate license. And he was asking me whether I would be interested in partnering on deals in Columbus that were creative finance type deals, which I am very good at, where I would put up any money that was necessary and he would do every single other thing. And I said, yes, I would. And my my perception, I mean, I guess it depends somewhat on the deal, but I think on in general, if I didn't have to put a ton of money into it, I would partner 50-50 on that deal with him. Because once once the deal once the deal is organized, which is the part he doesn't know how to do, put together the creative deal, and then closed with whatever money is required to be put in it, it goes on autopilot for me. Am I willing to give away 50% of a deal for it to be on autopilot for the next 20 years and just making money? Yes, I am. So each partnership is a little bit different depending on what what you're bringing to it, what the other person likes, doesn't like, is good at, isn't good at. But um, I, I would say if they're coming to you with a property already bought, closed, all of that sort of stuff, as a property manager, you get, what, 10% of the gross rents? As a full-on partner, I would say, you know, 25% of everything, right? 25% of the gains and the losses, the equity or the drop in value. You understand as a partner, you're, you're taking the risk as well as get, as getting the benefits, right? And then you have to be an awesome partner. You have to not ignore that property because you only own half of it. You have to treat it like the ones that you own every single solitary bit of. So I think that that idea of partnering up on things between two people who have very different things that they're bringing to the table. You don't, you don't want like too many people partnering up together. Cause like what, why, what, why does each one need the other one? You need, you need somebody who's really good at one set of things that is needed. And somebody who's really good at another set of things that is needed to have a good partnership. Um, generally I tell folks who are considering partnering together that they really, really, really need a buy-sell agreement in case something happens that makes the partnership undesirable for one or the other of them. And the buy-sell agreement is how do we, how do we get out? If I'm, if I'm the one who's not happy, do I get to make you an offer to buy you out? And then you choose to either buy me out at the same, under the same terms or sell to me under the same terms? Is it that we sell the property, which is usually not ideal, it's usually not if if we if one of us wants to get out, we have to sell the property because what if that's at the bottom of the market? That would be bad, right? Um, 
you got to think those through th- think think those things through and then sit down with an attorney and get get them drafted up right and the last thing is don't just get into a partnership with people because of money make sure you actually like and get along with and i'm not saying this like let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya i'm saying this like if you're kind of laid back and you know, you, you get you get everything done, but you don't like being told it has to be done yesterday. And you, you know, will give appropriate reports. But if it, you know, if, if it's not done on January the 1st, still have it done by January the 3rd. And your partners are very, everything must be done exactly right. And on my time schedule, uh, y'all aren't going to be happy together. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like, decide to date somebody for the next 10 or 15 years without having a couple of meals with them first, you know, sitting down and talking a few times. So don't do that with a partner either. And don't, don't ignore your gut feel about, you know, this guy's going to cause me trouble or he's not going to like the way I do things. Uh, because it looks like there's a lot of money in it for you because it will turn out not to be worth the money. But thank you for such a wonderful question. That is such a great question. Thank you, Julie. It's Q&A day on Real Life Real Estate. You can send in your questions either via email at askvina at gmail.com or you can call with your questions, which will get you priority because when we see that when we see that board light up and it says somebody's on there, we go straight to them. 877-772-9658 Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones-Cox. It is Q&A day here in here on Real Life Real Estate and that means that whatever questions you would like to ask you can either give us a call at 877-772-9658 or you can send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. We're going to go ahead and go to the phones and talk to Michelle in Cincinnati. Michelle, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. You're very welcome. So, okay, so I did email too, but I thought I would call because I probably have more detail than my email. So anyway, I have this one little rental property in the city of Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. And I rented to a person that does, like, group home type stuff where they have kids in. And so when she first um, contacted me, she was like, oh, I'm going to have to do a fire inspection. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So they came in, did the fire inspection. There was a few things we had to adjust, um, like certain kind of locks on the doors. Um, and then, like, going to the basement, they had to be locked from, like, the inside instead of, not, like, the outside. So we kind of I, we paid for all that. Um, and then recently they came back and said, oh, you can't have these types of doors um, on the upstairs. So now I'm going to send somebody over and we're going to take out those old doors and put in new doors um, for that. And then she contacted me today and she said, oh, now I have to have like a wiring inspection, an HVAC inspection, which I'm fine with, and then a building inspection. Okay. Um, <laughs> so... It doesn't sound like you're 100% clear on what it is she's doing in this house. Is she, is she, does she have foster children? Is she running a daycare? Is it some sort of a shelter type situation for these kids? I think it's a shelter type situation because I know, like, I've contacted her in the past, like, 
I think one time, um, like the water heater went out because the furnace guy was there working on something and then the water heater went out and then it just needed to be started. And so I was like, oh, can you go down and check to see if it needed to be started? She's like, oh, I'm not there. I have a, a, like a person there, I guess. So she's not at that house all the time. I guess she kind of goes back and forth to other houses. So she's, she's full on running a business out of your house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's the thing I was trying to get to because, um, did you know she was going to be doing this when you rented to her? Well, it, it made it sound like she was going to be living there and she had a few foster kids. Okay, but but now you think that it is actually probably a group home of some sort with a paid mm-hmm. staff person yes. uh, living there and yes. watching over the kids. Okay, yes. so um, first let me say I have absolutely no problem with people running businesses like this. Obviously, they're needed businesses, but mm-hmm. when they are running it out of your rental property as opposed to one that they own... They need to take care. These things are business expenses to them. They, okay. they go. They go far beyond. You know, you don't have to have a building inspection here in Cincinnati, at least, in order to rent your house. You don't have to have special right. kind of locks in order to like like the house is perfectly legally rentable, safe and habitable under every definition of tenant landlord law, which I'm trying to get changed to be called tenant housing provider law. Um, these are all her business expenses that are landing on your back. Right. And I've been really nice about it. Just, um, you know, I want to make her happy. And, and she's been there since July. And she's like talking like, oh, this is like a forever thing. And I'm like, <clears throat> okay, great, right? Because you don't want your rentals to turn over too much. The only thing that concerns me is I did um, in, the, in the garage, like the garage is kind of like under the house, um, had a couple of those like stepping, like you know how they're the big bricks, it had a couple of the stepping things. Well, I never had it looked at, but I'm afraid a building inspector might come out and say, oh, that's not right. You okay. Or let's, I might have let's, to do let's, something let's, with let's, the foundation. Let's, let's, let's back up a second here. Okay. <laughs> um, you, signed a, you signed a residential <laughs> lease with this lady, and she is using yeah. the property for a purpose other than for her and any children she might have, foster, et cetera, living there. This is This sounds like a whole different situation. It sounds like she probably, mm-hmm. she maybe has several of these around the city because yes, she's not yes, there. Yes, because and she, asked, she actually texted me recently, asked me to buy her more properties. Okay. So <laughs> you need to, you need to renegotiate the terms of this lease, given that it is not what you thought you were doing. You thought you were leasing to a person. You are in fact leasing to a business. And remind me before I let you get off the phone to talk to you about whether you have appropriate insurance for this. Okay. Okay. Because I'm that that's like screaming from the back of my head. I she probably isn't insured for what is basically a business. She would be like you. Your insurance probably covers if the family who was living there got hurt in a fire or something like that. But mm-hmm. it probably doesn't cover. This is a business where she is probably being paid by the state or an agency or yeah. something like that to do it. And right. and she and she in fact is not living there. Okay, so mm-hmm. so if she's if she is a good payer and she is otherwise keeping the property up and not also calling you every time the kids break something, then no problem buying her more houses. However, this needs to be more. This needs this this lease needs to be amended, and it needs to say things like, "We'll do whatever." 
you need done to run your business out of this, but whatever comes out of that, you are paying for. Okay. I mean, like if, if the building, if the building inspection came in and said, uh, well, actually your wiring super dangerous and it's going to burn the house down, you know, that's kind of on you. You're, you're not supposed to. Right. Oh, that. no. And right. Like I would totally want to replace all that. Yeah. But if the, some of this stuff is not coming, some of this stuff is apparently coming from whatever agency or governmental entity is she's yes, using. Yeah. And they keep changing the rules. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah I the, guess she said like, yeah. Yeah. So, so going forward, if they require new doors or new locks or whatever, she needs to pay for it. That's fine. She needs to pay for it because those new locks may be something that you end up having to take out later to rent to a different tenant, right? It's, right. It's, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think you need to renegotiate a bit here. I need, think it needs to, the agreement needs to be, I'll do whatever to make this property safe and habitable. The building department is always going to find a problem. I mean, unless your house oh, yeah. is brand spanking new and they just <laughs> inspected it and gave it the final check off last week. And I can't even guarantee then that they wouldn't find a problem. Um, so anything that's kind of just beyond the pale in terms of would a reasonable person say this needed to be done as opposed to your company that is paying you says it needs to be done because you are living under different rules for what the people you are housing that I am living I am I am for the people that I am housing, uh, then you need to pay for that. I mean, that's your business expense, not mine. Okay? And then the other mm -hmm. thing is, I would bet you money there is insurance that can be bought for this specific kind of business because the liability here goes beyond just what would be with a normal tenant. I mean, what happens if somebody accuses the person who's living there and taking care of these children of abusing them? I mean, that, that, okay. that should fall on the abusing person and also upon her for hiring the abusing person. But, you know, a lot of times attorneys will throw lawsuits at everybody who looks like they might have some assets to settle them. And who looks like they've got the biggest asset here? <laughs> Probably me. That's <laughs> you. So I would sit down... Before, before approaching her, I would get real clear on what the business is, who her governing authority is, what their requirements are, all of that sort of stuff, to decide if you even want to go forward with this. And then I would sit down with an attorney and say, protect me. Show me, show me how... Show me how we can do this lease in a way that I am protected from liability. She, she's able to make money. I'm able to make money. And I don't feel like I'm being run over by a situation that I didn't fully understand because I thought I was I thought I was hiring a tenant. I didn't think I was hiring a business <laughs> owner who was going to put a business in my house. We had we had a similar thing happen last year with a lady who did not tell us that she was going to be running a daycare out of an apartment she was renting. And this wasn't just like, hey, I'll babysit your kids. This was like a Hamilton County, the kids were put with her and she was paid by the county kind of thing. And it became something very similar where it was constant. Right. Well, now we need this and now we need this and now we need this. And then we went over there one day to check out something and discovered that she was only using it as a daycare. She didn't, there was not a bed in that entire apartment. She wasn't sleeping oh, wow. there. 
we had not rented it to a tenant who had taken on a daycare. We had rented it to a daycare without knowing it. Mm-hmm. And that's not, it, if you look at your lease, it probably says that the tenant can't run a business out of the property. If it's a, if it's a pretty typical lease, they very often say that. Okay. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the starting point for, we need to renegotiate. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I, 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 I feel your pain. It's like kind of a kind of a mix like you feel good about having this thing in your house but on the other hand it's causing you all kinds of problems that you didn't sign up for and you need to be compensated for that either by her doing the stuff that's necessary or possibly by an increase in the rents right because that would cover it too right if you were getting an extra hundred Mm -hmm. bucks a month that would probably make you feel better about having to i'm just worried about like building inspections i mean i've I've had the fire inspections before, and those are fine, but I don't know <clears throat> what they all look for in a building inspection. Everything. an older house. Everything. Yeah. I, I, I guarantee you they will find things, and, and some of them will be like, what? I, I'm i sorry, the, the valve mm-hmm. on the water heater is turned in the wrong direction. What does that even mean? <laughs> um, overall, unless unless because of what they're being asked to look for because of the nature of this business, it will all be stuff that you expect. It will all be stuff that you meant to take care of anyway. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are, when you let the building department in, those orders are going to go with you, whether you continue to rent to this business or not. That's what I thought. Okay. Okay. Okay, well that helps. Thank you. You're welcome. I just just renegotiate. This is this is not what you signed up for, and you need to be in some way compensated for the fact that it is not what you signed up for, and it is a profit making venture for this lady, and it is causing you all kind has already caused you all kinds of extra work that you would not normally expect to do in a residential rental situation. Talk to an attorney. Okay. okay. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you for your call, Michelle. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. And gosh, so many different questions today. Uh, You can send yours in to askvina at gmail.com. Or if you want to call it in, 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is you. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. You can call in your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. I have a question for Scott D. if you're listening. You sent me a question earlier. And you didn't tell me where you were from. And the answer to your question is going to be based on where you are from. So if you could send me another email saying, I'm from Dayton, I'm from Northern Kentucky, whatever, uh, that would be very helpful in answering your very interesting question. Okay. A uh, question came in via email from JP in Toledo. 
She says, just sold a property for almost $50,000 profit. Any suggestions about what to do in this incredibly rich market? We've done rehab and want to get out. So that is an interesting question, given that it is unclear where the market is going to go over the next 12 months, JP. Um, nine months ago, I was telling people, sock away your cash, because we're going to have a, a recession and a decline in the market. And this was before COVID. Okay, it was just it was pretty clear that the stock market was overvalued and that um, it was just time for a recession and housing housing sales were starting to slow down. And I said, if you if you have a bunch of cash, just wait six months and you will find better deals than you can find right now. And then COVID happened and we did, in fact, have a recession and the stock market in, did, in fact, crash. But then the stimulus program started and people started getting $1,200 checks and now they're getting more checks and they started getting the ability to not pay their mortgages or their rent, which is a great personal stimulus plan, at least for a while. And the market, because of the lack of inventory, because of people scared to have folks in their house because of COVID, um, accelerated even more than it had in 2020 and people had lots of money to spend on houses and interest rates you know cratered and it is rare at this point in time to find a deal that has a rate of return that you would want to invest in that deal what happens next well interesting question how far can stimulus go in propping up an economy where a lot of people still are not working or are working a lot less hours than they did before? How long can it go on propping up an economy where some of the ma some of the biggest industries, some of the biggest se segments of the economy are absolutely floundering? The travel industry. It's terrible there right now. You know, airlines have cut back flights to bare bones and the people who make airplanes are laying off people by the tens of thousands and the companies that supply the parts for the people who make the airplanes are closing down, like just full on shutting down. And this is showing all the signs of what should be a full-on recession. But as long as the government keeps sending out $2,000 checks and giving people unemployment over and above what they usually would and so on, um, it doesn't really affect the housing market. People can still pay their rent if they'll bother to apply for the stimulus money. People are getting are still in forbearance on their mortgages. So... It's a, it's a tough thing to say right now, Jess. I would say that my main um, piece of advice to you is do not be a motivated buyer. Do not go out and spend that money on a property just because it's the best deal you can find as opposed to it's actually a good deal. There are still deals out in the market. You just have to search a lot harder for them. 
if you want to invest that money in something long term, which is sort of the impression that I get here, you're going to need to beat the bushes for a motivated seller of a rental property that they really, really don't want anymore. And maybe you're willing to do some level of creative finance on so that you can spend that money that you have on down payment and fixing it up. But I made a huge, gigantic, monstrous mistake in 2004, 5, and 6, which is I bought rentals despite the fact that they didn't cash flow nearly as much as I had been used to because they were cheaper than the market, which was also incredibly high. And in 2008, every property I bought in 2004, 5, and 6 was worth less than what I owed on it. And certainly less than what I had paid for it. So I wish I had stuck to my, it needs to make at least this rate of return. It needs to make at least this much cash flow during those years because it would have made the following years a lot easier had I actually stuck to that. Nothing wrong with sitting on the cash for a while waiting for the right deal. Real estate entrepreneurs are very quick to just, I've got this money and it's bothering me that I have this money I needed in a house. Nothing wrong with having it sitting around in cash until you find the right deal and or determine for yourself which direction the market's going to go. Don't be a motivated buyer. And thank you for your question. Let's go to the phones and talk to Norma in Columbus. Norma, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I had a question, uh, and it has to do with financing. Okay. And I wanted to know... What is the basic difference between commercial loans and qualifying for them and personal, like residential loans? Like, so, for example, um, if you buy a house and it's a one-to-four family property, they, you have to qualify for, for it personally. But if you buy a, an apartment building that's more than five units, it's called a commercial loan. What would the differences be in terms of qualifying for them? Well, basically, the the conventional residential loans all have to conform to certain Fannie Mae standards if they're going to be sold to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac standards if they're going to be sold to Freddie Mac, and to Dodd-Frank standards, right? So, okay. So, so there's, you know, there there's a set of rules for residential that doesn't apply to commercial. And I'm not saying commercial loans don't have standards. Of course they do. But commercial mm-hmm. loans more typically get held as a portfolio loan by the bank. Or mm-hmm. there's a select number of uh, buyers of commercial loans, just like just like Fannie and Freddie buy residential loans. There are, there are buyers of commercial loans and and if the bank's working with a particular investor who's going to buy the loan um, they might say well here's the terms that are required for this investor which which could by the way be accompanied by a requirement for personal signature but a true Mm -hmm. what what you and i would consider a true commercial loan is a loan that's made against the property non-recourse to the borrower so in other words, mm-hmm. you can you can you can um you can take my property if I don't pay you, but you can't right. come after my house because I didn't sign this personally. And those mm-hmm. those loans to my understanding are almost entirely in the in the category of either 
portfolio loans, like the bank is saying, okay, we, we did our, we made our own decision, we're investing our own money, or in the category of uh, true commercial lenders, like they don't, you don't go down to your local bank and get this loan. <laughs> you know, you go to, okay. there's, there's a, there's a whole bunch of commercial lenders in the country who literally don't do anything. They don't get into the residential space. They literally right. don't do anything mm-hmm. except loans on apartments or shopping centers or self-storage facilities or all of the above, depending on what their specialty is. So to mm-hmm. get a completely non-recourse commercial loan where nobody has to put their name on the bottom line and say, I personally guarantee this is mm-hmm. not, it's not, it's done, but it's not going to be every commercial loan you see. And the, the, um, the, the, reverse of that so like that would be a big advantage if you could get one of these loans and not have to sign it personally but what you are probably going to find about those versus ones where somebody is personally guaranteeing it is the interest Mm -hmm. rates are higher the terms are shorter the down payments are Mm -hmm. bigger and they're Mm -hmm. adjustable okay because if, Mm -hmm. if all of my eggs are in the basket of does your property at least stay the same if not increase in value because if I have to take it back I need it to stay the same or increase in value then mm-hmm. I'm going to um, I'm going to offset that risk by making more money sure. on your loan yeah up front yeah yeah so if you're okay. if you're looking for commercial loans on like really big properties like the, the from what I can tell from just watching and asking banks and whatnot the five to 20 unit type apartment buildings are mostly the domain of small local banks. They, okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's your, you know, the, you, the teeny little, there's only two branches and every, the, the, the tellers all know your name cause they've all been there for 20 years and they recognize you cause you come in once a week and, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. that kind of bank, and they're 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 make they're trying to make investments with the depositor money that have a decent rate of return and so on. Yeah. yeah, if you get above twenty units, you've got a lot of options. If you just Google, you know, commercial lenders, if you if you get one of these um, apartment newsletters, that they advertise all over them, and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of different there's a lot of different terms out there there's not it's not quite as standardized as residential is Mm -hmm. you know residential the interest rates tend to fall within a certain span and so do the amortizations and so do the down payments commercials kind of all over the place so you know you call some of them you ask for rate sheets you say well what if what if the deal was this way instead of this way and you find one that you like that makes sense for whatever it is you're trying to do and you go with them and see how it goes well okay i have one other question um what's the best way to buy uh an apartment building with a group of people is it to form a writ or just an llc it's not going to be a reit um unless you're buying like all the apartment buildings <laughs> if you, if it's just one if it's just one it's probably something like a syndication okay where where mm-hmm. there's there's often in these things there's like the syndicator who would be you who gets a certain percentage of the deal just for putting it together and right. then there's like mm-hmm. cl- class a and class b shareholders and 
uh, often there's a person who his job is to put his personal signature on whatever loan is being done, and he gets part of the deal just for taking that risk. Those, Mm -hmm. unless they're being done like within a family or with all accredited investors, they, those those really require an SEC exemption to put together. If you're, if you're just, if you're trying to put together 50 people who each have $25,000, you're going to need a, you're going to need an exemption for that. Mm -hmm. So you might want to attend the uh, Cincinnati area Cori apartment focus group and talk yeah, to the yeah cuz some of those Mark folks have, yeah some of those folks have done exemptions before and yeah. they know they know what it takes and what it costs and how long it takes and all of that sort of thing and can tell you the pros and the cons cuz it's a lot easier to put together a partnership amongst like three people who are all active participants and who can all put in money and credit than it is to put one together between 10 people of whom only two are really participating and the other eight are non-participating and that's where you, but they've got money and that's where you get into needing that exemption. Yeah, actually it's my kids who want to buy an apartment building together. And so it's just, so I don't just think them we, and you and nobody coming in from the outside. Nope. Oh, well nobody then you don't, in from the outside. then you just figure out how to do that and do it. It's not, there's no, need here for some kind of compliment you know complicated setup form an llc or at least an llc right yeah form an well yeah you need the llc to protect all of your stuff against any potential liability from the building put together the llc start looking for money because the good thing about commercial loans is they will loan straight to an llc in fact that's what they want to do as opposed Mm -hmm. to residential where you always have to like have it in your name first you do exactly. not want this building in your name first. Form an LLC. Everybody puts in money and or effort according to the LLC mm-hmm. operating agreement. And um, mm-hmm. you still need a buyout agreement, even though it's your family. You still right. need an agreement that says, yeah. hey, if you move to Australia, you know, decide to run around the outback and find yourself, then we get to <laughs> take your shares away because mm-hmm. you're no longer participating. Exactly. Okay, yeah, that's that's great advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for your call, Norma. Uh-huh. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back to the rest of the questions. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week, and really... There's just been an overwhelming number of questions today, and I appreciate that a lot. I'm going to try and zoom through some of these that came in via email. Um, Rod says, what is your view on texting a list of motivated sellers? Direct mail doesn't get my phone ringing enough. Um, Okay, so my view on what I assume you you are saying is mass texting to a list of potential motivated sellers with whom you have never had any contact is that it's almost certainly illegal. There's a, there's a lot of laws about who you can and can't text and under what circumstances and how you have to check things first that almost no real estate investor ever bothers to learn. And 
that you're not actually texting a list of motivated sellers, you're texting a list of people who own properties and you do not know whether they are motivated or not. And it's funny because I was just having this conversation with somebody. My many years of experience, I am I am certain that I have talked to more than 15,000 sellers in my life tells me that the way to open a relationship is not through an unasked for invasion into their cell phone saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about that property you have for sale. I get those texts every day. And so does every other person in the country who owns rental real estate. And I text back and say, sure, what property would you like to talk about? And then a a live person text back because that first time it wasn't a live person. It was just a mass text. And they say, I don't know which one do you have for sale? And I say, if you don't stop texting me, I'm reporting you to the FCC. Because it's just, you know, if, if somebody like texted me and said, hey, I just drove by your house at 123 Easy Street and I noticed the door was open and it seems like it's vacant and I'm wondering if you're interested in selling it. I would contact them back. But these mass text blasts that are that are just so clearly computer generated and then you're talking to someone who's not a principal in the business, even if you bother to text back, they feel to me and everybody else who gets them like they're a waste of their time. They feel invasive. Even if I was inclined to sell a property, I'm not sure I would sell it to that person and probably also illegal. Now, if you, in fact, did have a list of properties you had found, let's say, driving for dollars and you knew something about them and you tried to call the person and talk to them about it and they didn't answer the phone because a lot of people don't answer phones if they don't recognize the phone number and you were to text them and say, hey, it's Rod. I called you a little earlier about your house at 123 Easy Street. Um, I'm super interested in buying it. I didn't know if you were interested in selling it. I think that's a whole different thing. That's almost like a personal contact that happens to be by text. But these mass text blasts are, you, you mark my words right now, Rod, they're going to get people in real estate in trouble. Okay. All right. Um, last question we're going to be able to get to is from Chris, who says, I'm a private lender lending out of my solo 401k. I've been asked to loan on a luxury cabin in the woods. Think Hocking Hills, Airbnb. Second position, amortizing 30 years, five-year balloon at 8%. I have experienced loaning to these investors and it's all been good. Here are the questions I have so far. What am I missing? Uh, I need the loan to value, including the first and second mortgages. Uh, comps was 5K monthly income, gross or net? That's an excellent question. Plans for managing the property. Why are the sellers selling? What are the utilities on the property as well? And septic, is this an example of a note, I would want a loan mortgage loan originator to draw up the paperwork. Okay. So this is a new purchase. This is, I was kind of under the impression that these people maybe already owned this luxury cabin and they were looking for a second. Um, one of my big questions would be, why do you need a second? Are your, your first of 80% or whatever of the value is probably not in favor of you having a second if they knew about it is the second going to call your first going to call cause the first to be called due um 
yes, the question of whether 5K monthly income is gross or net is a really good one on an Airbnb because the gross and the net can be 50% apart on those. I mean, basically, it's, it's the same as a first mortgage. Looking at the combined mortgages, can the borrower easily pay both of them from the income from the property? In second position, you're in a little bit of a riskier place because in a foreclosure situation, the first gets paid first and then you get paid. So even with a second mortgage, you you still want the combination of the mortgages to no, be no more than 80% loan to value. You don't want to be in that second position and be at 100% of value. That's just, you know, not a good position for you. Also, just so you know, the second mortgager usually gets more interest because they are in a riskier position. 8% seems kind of low to be in second position on a deal like this. I think you should be looking for closer to 10 to 12. Always have an attorney draw this paperwork up for you. Never try to do it yourself. Thank you for your question, Chris, and to everybody who sent in questions today. We are unfortunately out of time, but we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.